Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. It's a special program that we've got for you here today. Uh, you know, everybody's heard of uh, Donnie Brasco and the FBI agent who played him, uh, Joe Pistone. And I was able to get hold of Joe Pistone the other day and talk to him. I want to talk about Lefty Ruggiero. Now, Joe has his own podcast going down. He's doing all kinds of other stuff, but he was gracious enough to, to give me a little bit of time. Uh, to, And he was really hard to get hold of, by the way. I had to use a, a connection, and then I, I get a, 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 a cryptic phone call, and then I get, have to make another phone call. And, and so he's still laying low. Now, he is out there. He had uh, Joe had recently talked about Lefty Ruggiero. Joe's got his own podcast going, or he's a or like a part-time guest for a one series from Jam Street Media. It's called Deep Cover, The Real Donnie Brasco, and I listened to a couple of episodes of it, and it's pretty good. Joe's a good storyteller, and so I recommend you try that podcast. Lefty Two Guns Ruggiero, he was a character played by Al Pacino in the movie Donnie Brasco, and, and so I was talking to Joe about it, and, and Joe made this following comment. So Joe said he'd hate to be Lefty's cellmate when he went to the joint. Well, I have sitting here my friend Steve St. John, who's been on the show before, and he was the cellmate or a cellmate of Lefty Rosario down at the medical facility at Springfield for, for two years, folks. So welcome, Steve. It's great to have you here. Good morning. How are you? So uh, I kind of got on this podcast, Steve, because you heard Joe say that same sentence in another place, didn't you? Yes, I did. What did you think when you heard Joe Pistone say he'd hate to be his cellmate? I just started laughing out loud. Nobody was in the room but me, and I just couldn't contain myself. I thought, if you only knew. <laughs> so, you were at Springfield. Now, that's a medical facility. Did Lefty have uh, medical problems? Yes, he had cancer. Oh, really? Okay. Uh -huh. It seemed like he died shortly after he got out of the penitentiary. About a year. I, I talked to him on the phone for a few months, and uh, and then one day I called, and his wife, Louise, told me that he passed away. So you maintain a, a connection yeah. with him mm -hmm. after you yeah. both got out of the joint. So interesting. Um, Lefty, tell me, like, what was your first meeting with Lefty? What you? What was your perception of him? Had you knew? Did you know his? You know his kind of infamy, shall we say? Yeah, I, I mean, I I knew who he was, and and there was a certain table that that everybody sat at if you knew somebody, and this and that, and and he, you know he was always there because he would come off the floor where he was at, and we'd be able to meet down in the rec room, and uh, you know just sit around and shoot the bull, maybe play cards and and whatnot. The other old timers. Fat Tony and was that and, Fat Tony Salerno? Yes. Yeah. Who else was there? And uh, Tony Duck Scarillo was there. Uh, Paul Hankish, he was a uh, mobster out of West Virginia. He was a, uh, a uh, Jewish mobster, and uh, just you know a lot of different people that that were there. Because if, if you were sick in another place, Leavenworth, anywhere back east, they either sent you to Rochester or Springfield. If they were mad at you, you went to Springfield. If they weren't that mad at you, you went to Rochester because they had the Mayo Clinic there. So most of the gangsters that, that were, uh, the government was still mad at ended up in Springfield. Oh, well. That's well, where we John see, Gotti was at. We see where you stood. Yeah, St. John. that ain't no they kidding. They were mad at you, weren't they? Oh, real mad. <laughs> now, now, folks, uh, uh, you're going to hear some noise in the background. We're doing our, our COVID virus uh 
podcast out here on my front porch. Uh, we're going to be on YouTube also. But Steve, I kind of have some memory of how they got mad at you. What was the deal on that? Was that when that agent tried to, to debrief you up there in, uh, in South Dakota, or was that? No, that was after they, they, they shipped me again that time. So I've been on diesel therapy quite a bit. Yeah, diesel therapy, folks, that's when they put you on a bus, a diesel bus, yeah. <laughs> and run you from one prison. You get all settled in, then they send you another prison. Now, now part of Steve's problem was he would never talk about anybody. And, and to this day, he won't. I, I try to ask him about things that are a little more current, and he you know, he just like looks at me like, I ah, talking. what do you think, I'm nuts, I'm not talking about that stuff. He's happy to talk about the good old days, and a lot of these people are all dead. And he was definitely in at Mob Central at the medical facility in Springfield mm-hmm. and a couple other places, too. So uh, we're going to keep talking, trying to pry as many stories as we can out of him about that. Now, uh, Joe, listen to this, what Joe says about Lefty. I always uh, said that I hate to be the guy that was in a cell with Lefty when he was in a can because he would drive him fucking crazy, you know. Uh, there's no way I'd want to be locked up in, in a cell with him because I wouldn't be doing the time that would drive me nuts. It'd be listening to him complaining uh, that would drive me nuts. Well, you know, Lefty was your typical wise guy, you know, always crying about something. They got, you know, $5,000 in their pocket, but they're always crying they're broke uh, because they never, you know, they never pay for anything out of their own their own pocket. Uh, so that's you know he was a you say a butcher. That, that, that was typical of them. A whiner, you know, everything was about lefty. Uh, give you an example. Uh, he smoked like crazy. Smoked English ovals, and I mean they were just uh, you know tobacco was terrible. But and he couldn't stand air conditioning. So you're in a car in the dead heat of summer. I can remember being down in Miami, and I'm driving, you know, and it's like a hundred degrees. The windows are all up, and you couldn't have any air conditioning on because he didn't like air conditioning. And if you put the windows down, there there would be a breeze. So he didn't like that. And but yet he's smoking his English ovals choking me out in a in a car in Miami which is a hundred degrees out and you can imagine what it is in, in inside the car. I mean, you know, when you talk about one way that 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 was him. Uh I give you another example. I mean, you know, when you talk about one way that 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 was him. Uh I give you another example. He had a uh, a root canal done one day. And, you know, all I heard for three days was about his root canal, his root canal. Well, unlucky me, about two weeks later, I have to get one. It didn't make a bit of difference, you know, that I was in pain. Uh, it just went right over his head. I mean, <laughs> you talk about one-way street. Well, it was all one way. It was, you know, his one way going. Steve, what do you think about that? Was Lefty kind of a one-way dude? Was, was he was he only worried about himself and what he could get for himself? They named the streets after him one way. 
What about that time you made that birthday cake for him? I seem to remember that story. Oh, boy. He kept saying his birthday was coming up, his birthday was coming up. When are you going to get me? When are you going to get me? So I got a guy to make him a birthday cake. So on his birthday, uh, got the cake down there, was having a little party in the rec hall, and, and I said, hey, Lefty, I said, here's your, your birthday cake. Happy birthday. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, what else did you get me? <laughs> I said, don't start that shit again. Last time you said that in Florida, it got you 25 years. <laughs> if you remember in the movie, yes. he told those two agents, he said, what else you get me? And I said, shit, you better leave that alone. But yeah, he was uh, he was one way, that's for sure. Now, now, did you see the movie, Donnie Brasco? I did, I did. Now, how accurately did Al Pacino depict the character of Lefty Two Guns Ruggiero? I think he was right on target. You know, how could you not spending that much time with somebody? I mean, you know, it's there was no reason to change anything because that's the way he was. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it is what it is. I mean, the story was always out. If you killed somebody, borrow the bullets. Seriously. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, now he got the the nickname Two Guns because when he was a younger mobster, he went on a hit and. Back in those days, the mob notoriously would get some old crappy guns because they didn't want to be tied to them in any way. So they'd like buy guns from a street burglar, you know, a street criminal who had burglarized somebody's house, and they'd have these crappy old guns. So he brought two guns along just in case one malfunctioned. So <laughs> oh boy, he was very proficient. He was, you know, he was he was a born and bred mafia as, as my understanding did, did you see that in him that he was so caught up in that lifestyle that yeah. was it was his total identity that he was he was like like John Gotti said once he was a perfect man to, to be around Gotti although he wasn't around Gotti he was in the Bonanno crew but but he was like you know mob, Gotti once said you know La Cosa Nostra today La Cosa Nostra forever or something along those lines mm -hmm. so that's that uh, was did you notice that in Lefty? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the only life he knew. He didn't know any, any other life. He had a wife, and, uh, you know, he'd tell her, hey, I'll be back in a week. I'll be back in a month. I'll be maybe back tonight. Then he had a son that uh, he was very, uh, broke his heart. He was a, a, a dope user, and, and he I think he ended up dying uh, of an overdose, and that, that kind of just made Lefty, you know, here's, here's our life, and and his son really broke his heart over that deal. So he had a certain acceptance to the, the grim, cruel realities oh, yeah. of, the, of oh, that yeah. life on, on that side of the law. As, as you found out, there's some cruel realities on the wrong side of the law. Oh, yeah. And yeah. there's a lot more pleasant consequences yeah. on the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you ever make it there. Yeah, well, you did. Yeah. You did, man. Here, <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> you know, he had a, a real dry sense of humor. He had a sense of humor, but it was really, really dry, and it had to be at your expense, not his. And there was a guy, I think I mentioned a few minutes ago, Paul Hankish, and uh, he was from, uh, I think he was Lebanese, from West Virginia, and he was a big monster, this, this guy was. And uh, he got, uh, they blew him up, uh, and he lost both legs. So when he was in Springfield, he, uh, he he was an amputee, he was a double amputee. 
So he was one of the ones that sat with us and talked and bullshitted and, and Lefty looked at him and said, you know, Paul, he said, I, I really like you. And Paul looked at him and said, well, Lefty, I like you too. And he said, no, I, I really like you. And I'm going, oh, shit, where is this going? And he said, well, I like you too. He said, but you know the only problem that you've got? And he said, what's that? He said, you're just not a stand-up guy. And I'm going, oh, my God, he didn't say that, did he? And uh, that Paul started cussing him out, and that lefty just kind of grinned. And I thought, Jesus Christ, I like a good joke, but, man, that was under the table. So just watching it, you're, you're a, a, a close observer of body language and, and anybody that's lived the life of a policeman or the life of a professional criminal you are totally aware of people around you. Oh, absolutely. You watch, you watch body language, you watch how people relate, sure. l looking for those tells, those little hidden things. Are they hiding anything? What's, what's really going on here? And so when you watch Lefty with like these other older, higher-ranking mobsters like uh, Fat Tony Salerno was yeah. a boss, uh, and uh, I can't remember about Tony Ducks all of a sudden. He yeah. was a higher-ranking guy oh, than yeah. Lefty. Lefty was a, a career soldier. Sure. He never wanted to be a capo. Would that be or a, a boss of any kind? Yeah, he just wanted to be told what to do and go gamble. He, he didn't want any big responsibility. He was a gambling degenerate. So how did he relate to these other guys? Could you see that he, hierarchy? Could you well, watch him be subservient? Tony Ducks wouldn't talk to him. Rightfully so, because he, you know, his deal brought everybody down, and uh, Fat Tony was 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 uh, he, he'd be sitting down there with us, but he'd be kind of be in and out of the conversation. And who knows? He may not even know who Lefty was at that point. You know, he was almost ninety, had to chomping on his cigar, and just you know, as long as he had a banana, he loved bananas. As long as he had his bananas, sit there, eat a banana, and look at kind of lefty. I, I think he, I think he pretty much knew who he was, but he never did smile at him. Yeah, interesting. You know, because you're right. Uh, uh, they killed his boss, Sonny Black Napolitano, mm -hmm. because he was responsible for bringing this Donnie Brasco in yeah. and bringing him in closer and, and offering that contract to, to kill. Oh God, it was Bruno. Uh, and Delicato, I think was his last name, uh, was son of one of the three capos that were killed uh, a year or so before that kind of purge of the Bonanno family. But uh, they gave Lefty a pass, because, mm -hmm. even though he was the one that really mentored Joe Pistone or Donnie Brasco. He mentored him into the life. He made comments like, I remember reading one where uh, he told Donnie Brasco, he said, you know, this is the greatest life in the world, man. Yeah. He said, you can you can cheat, you can lie, you can steal, you can even kill, and it's all legal. See, that's what kind of a monster yeah. Lefty Ruggiero yeah. was. And it, it was like this whole other culture in which if you were part yeah. of that, you know, normal societal restraints had no... He only went by those rules. Right, period. a good way to put it. Those right. are the only rules he knew. So, uh, about gambling, how did he gamble in prison? He probably gambled on everything. Well, Cigarettes or uh, whatever he could get of currency. You know, I, I, I think he was like broke, you know. I mean, it just... He used to try to get people to bring him donuts and, and this and that. On the floor he was on, 
they had no machines for pastries or anything because that was a medical floor. You had a lot of diabetics there, and they're not going to let them, you know. So he'd ask me, hey, Steve, he said, bring me, bring me some donuts or some cookies or, you know. And he'd ask 10 Steves, you know. I mean, here are these old cookies and donuts, and he'd go back to his unit with this stuff stuffed in his pocket. He was, you know, that's just the way he was, you know. Things really dwindle when you when things are important when the joint, you know. And yeah. Commissary and donuts and stuff. Or so that became much more important than any gambling yeah, games he yeah, might get you into. Know, he just interesting. And uh, you know he he quit smoking. So and that's what got him there. He did three or four, five packs a day. Yeah. So at least he quit that. But he died about a year later was after. It, was he got it lung out. cancer? I don't remember. Uh, you know I don't remember what kind of cancer yeah. it was, but. I think they got it in remission down there, but uh, he. I think he liked to stay there because that was a more laid-back place yeah. than the places he had been. Lefty was once approached by an agent that I know he used to be stationed here in Kansas City, and Doug Fensel's his name. Mm -hmm. And actually, he was he was here when when well known. worked that case on you. Uh, he didn't really remember it. He said, "I remember helping serve the search warrant." And I said, "Well, dude." You guys missed a bunch of cash, he tells me, he laughs. He said, yeah, we probably did. <laughs> <laughs> so they served a search warrant on uh, my friend here, and, and uh, he had a cash hoard stuffed away somewhere in some secret compartment that the FBI had missed, and, as well as a couple of my guys went in there, too. But uh, so Doug had been assigned to the New York office, to the Bonanno crew, and he, he was assigned lefty. Now. He doesn't have much to say about Lefty. I got this little clip out of him here about Lefty. Listen to this, folks. Let me start on Lefty. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. I I would talk to a lot of the Bonanno guys, and uh, we knew that Lefty was a kind of a hothead, so I was reluctant to talk to him for a while because I knew that was going to be a problem. So finally I decided to go to a social club and talk to him, and he was in there by himself. I waited outside till I could see nobody else was in there. And I went in and I introduced myself to him. And he'd heard my name before, so he knew who I was. And he went ballistic. And I mean, when I say ballistic, he was crazy, almost foaming at the mouth, calling me names. What are you doing in here? I don't want anybody to see you with me. Uh, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. And the whole time I'm trying to calm him down saying, Lefty, wait a minute, Lefty, I just want to talk to you. And he just left, uh, he got angry, left the social club and walked down the street and he left me standing there all by myself. I waited a couple of minutes. He never came back and I just decided, well, he's not coming back. I'm leaving. So, Steve, what do you think about that? Did Lefty have a heck of a temper? Would he, would he just, like, lose it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. He could, yeah. He, uh, especially when you talk about something like that, you know, he just, he's not ever going to change, even, yeah, I mean, no matter what. That was his life, and, you know, don't don't try to make no deal with him. He don't want it, and, and that's just the way he was. He's a little bit like you. He, he would take a little extra time rather than talk. He might even die before he'd talk. I'm not yeah. sure. Lefty might die before he'd yeah. talk. Yeah, well, that's, sometimes that's, that's your alternative, you yeah. know. And, well, and, yeah. You know, my saying always was, 
if if those people, whichever you know, they was trying to get me to talk on, if those people did something, go get them. I'm not an agent. I don't have any license to go go arrest somebody. You go arrest them. But one last thing, uh, we talked a lot about Joe Stone. I told you about his podcast he's got coming up. Deep cover, so look for that. Now, here's a little clip of Doug Fensel, who you heard from before, my friend who actually lives here, retired here in Kansas City, telling about the day that they went to Sonny Black Napolitano and told him that Donnie Brasco was really Joe Pistone and he really was an FBI agent, so they need to back off because they were thinking he was an informant at first. That's always your problem when you get around the mob, whether you're just following them, watching them, or whether you're actually working undercover doing deals with people, is they don't know you're a cop. They think you're maybe a member of another crew or some criminal that's trying to set them up on something, and that's how you can get hurt. They needed to convince Sonny Black that Donnie Brasco was actually an FBI agent. So they go in, they, and, and here's a clip from that, but what's interesting about that is Sonny Black knew, he knew that he was in trouble. As soon as they uttered those words, he didn't know it for sure, but as soon as Doug uttered those words, he's really an agent, he knew he was in trouble. So it's really interesting to listen to Sonny Black's reaction, which we will say is actually a lack of reaction. That dude was mm-hmm. cool. So listen to this, folks. Joe is going to have to come out from undercover, and, and I think that what precipitated that was he had gotten the uh, contract to kill uh, Bruno and Delicato, who was the son of Sonny Red. And I think he he was supposed to be at that meeting where they for the three captains were killed, but he didn't go. So Joe got the contract, and that they decided it was time to that he should probably come out. It was getting too dangerous for him. So uh, they wanted to try to roll somebody, and they Joe thought the best candidate would be Sonny Black, who he thought was you know pretty reasonable guy so they were trying to figure out who they wanted to go talk to him and they decided on me because Sonny Black had told Joe before that I had talked to him on several occasions and he said for an FBI agent he's a pretty stand-up guy so they decided I'd be the guy we had a conference before we did it and at that conference we took pictures it was me and Joe it was the case agent down in Florida. Joe was also down in Florida and had cases down there. And then I think it was the case agent in, in New York, maybe. But there was three of us. And they wanted to get him alone. And, of course, he always had his his people under him. He was the captain, so he had people always with him. And so we would go out early in the morning and sit in the car. It was summer and hot and would sit in the car, and the surveillance team would be were on Sonny's apartment, and there was always people around. So we were there for about three days before, in the morning, they determined that nobody was there except Sonny. So then we went, and I banged on the door, door at the bottom of the steps, and uh, he said, who is it? And I told him it was me, and he very cordially says, come on up. 
So myself and the two other agents went up, and he said, have a seat. And we sat at his, uh, it's like a little living room table, so we all sat there. And he didn't seem... He didn't seem anxious or nervous or anything. He was just, what do you guys want? And I said, uh, do you know uh, Donnie Brasco? And I can't remember if he acknowledged he knew him or not. You know, he was a he was a tough guy, and, and he knew how to play the game. And I said, well, Donnie Brasco is really Joe Pistone. He's an FBI agent. And he was like it was nothing. I mean, he's like, oh, okay. And just like I said anything. I thought he was going to jump up and down, fall on the floor, but he just took it like I was telling him uh, today's Sunday. And uh, we got done, and I didn't, I, I, if I recall, I didn't have to show him the picture because he, he, he didn't say anything that I don't know who he is or anything like that. So I, had, I thought that he probably acknowledge the fact tacitly that you know he knew who he was and so uh we were leaving and i gave him my card and i said sonny i said you know better than anybody what what this is going to mean and he didn't say anything and i gave him the card and the two agents before me walked down the steps and i was leaving the door and he goes doug and i said yeah and he says you know better than anybody i can't do this and we left, and that's the story. So Sonny Black knew what was coming up for him, and that's like he told Doug, Agent Fensel, and he liked he liked Agent Fensel because he had told Joe Stone about him and said, you know, he's a stand-up guy. He's not a bad guy for an agent. But he told him, he said, you know, I can't do that. And he know, and... Doug, you know, you know what's going to happen, and, and it did. It went that long. I've seen that. Uh, I just had another story. It's coming out uh, right now, actually, while I'm recording this. It's coming out next Monday. There's an FBI agent up in uh, Chicago that interviewed him. He worked up a case on uh, Ken Ito, or Tokyo Joe, they called him, and, and the outfit tried to kill him. Well, that day, they called him. They called, whistled him in to a meeting, and he knew that he told him he could take the hit and he would go to penitentiary and not say a word, but he knew when they whistled him into an unscheduled meeting at a strange restaurant that he'd never been to before and nobody ever talked about. And, and he told his wife, he said, you know, you know, I may not be back. And he put on his best suit and got all cleaned up and he went. Tony Spilatro, that last meeting before he was killed, he left his jewelry. Uh, some identification, some different things there at the house before he went to that meeting. These guys, uh, they uh, just like Lefty. He would have done the same mm -hmm. thing, don't you think? Mm -hmm. He would have. He would just said, "Okay, okay, I'm done. Go ahead and take me out," which he would have done. But for some reason, I can't remember that reason now. Well, he had. Why did they give him a pass on that? Well, they didn't be, because they had called him to meet him and he took off his jewelry and he laid everything oh, on the dresser. Okay. And as he walked out of his building, the FBI intercepted him. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he now. didn't get a pass. They okay. got him. The FBI him. got him before the, the mob got him. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, you know. Well, that's a cruel world, ain't it? Well, <laughs> if you live in it. If you live in it. <laughs>
But it's an interesting world if you yeah. just talk about it instead sure. of go to movies about That's it. Right. That's right. <laughs> we all love the mob around here. All right, yeah. folks. I, I really appreciate it. Steve, thanks a lot for I enjoy sharing it. your stories with me and, and the wiretappers out there. Good evening, folks.